0: Amen. Good morning. Welcome as we come to this time of celebrating and a time in the the word of the Lord. If you have your Bibles, I'll just ask that you go ahead and get them out and turn to Acts chapter 1. And I want us to begin to talk today about what I've entitled Jesus' Last Words. Jesus' Last Words, the title, Last Words, is what we're looking at today. And what I want you to think about for just a moment, I want you to to take a short journey with me, and I want you to think about someone in your life that you love dearly. Maybe that someone is no longer with us. Maybe they've already died, but can you think about the last words that they said to you? The last words. How important are those that you want to hold on to those words? You want to to cherish them. You know, I have some that I love, and they called and they left me a message on my phone. And for many years, that message was still there. And from time to time, I would go back and I would listen to that message just to hear their voice, just to hear what they said to me last maybe someone that's still living, what are the last words that maybe you would want to hear from them? But what rings so true in us is those words for, from someone that maybe has moved off and we can no longer talk to. and We have those last words. What we're going to be looking at in, in Scripture today are the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples and those who were with him at that time. Jesus had lived for 30 years. His mother had known him for 30 years. His disciples had given up everything and had been with him for three years, constantly intimate relationship with him. And now Jesus is getting ready to ascend to the Father after his resurrection, and he has some last words for his disciples. And I believe just as... For us, the last words of our loved one mean so much to us and so much we want to hear. How much more the last words that Jesus Christ spoke to his disciples. Maybe we put it this way. The last words that Jesus shared with humans physically here on earth. Important. And that's what we're going to look at today. If you have your Bibles opened... I ask that you look there at Acts chapter 1, we'll be beginning in verse 4. If you're able to, if you're not driving as I said before, or something that's dangerous, if you would please stand as we read God's word together. Coming from the book of Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. Gathering them together, he commanded them to not leave Jerusalem. But to wait for the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by His authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Father God, thank you for your word. Father, would you speak to us, Lord? Would you open our eyes, Lord, as your word says, to open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things in your law. Father, wonderful things you have for us. Father, what exciting things we have to see today from your word. But, Father, we can't understand them unless you, through the Holy Spirit, open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to hear, Father, what you want us to hear. Father, I pray today that those listening, Father, would hear correctly, Lord, what you have them to hear. And Father, would you help me, your servant, Lord, to step aside, Father, in my flesh, and would you speak through me as a servant, as a vessel that's willing to be used? Would you anoint me? Would you fill me now with that power of Holy Spirit, Father, for a time as this, to proclaim your message? Father God, I just pray everything. In the precious and most holy name of your son Jesus, amen and amen. You may be seated. How excited I am today to be able to share with you about the last words that Jesus Christ spoke. And I believe how important they are and how important they were and what they mean for us today. But as I begin to get in this, we've already covered verses 4 and 5, so I don't want to spend a whole long time there, but I want you to understand a few things about that. In verse 4, he said, Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. Why was it so important that they stay in Jerusalem? That's where God was going to send the Holy Spirit, but it's more than that. They were not to leave Jerusalem because that was fulfilling prophecy. Over in the book of Isaiah, chapter 2 and verse 3, we read this, And many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. All the way back in Isaiah, it was talking, and here we see that the word of God is going to travel from Jerusalem uh, to all parts of the world. So Jesus' last words to his disciples and followers was, Go to Jerusalem, stay there, and wait. Not many days from now, Something was coming for them. And also in verse 5, we see there in Acts chapter 1, it says, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. We talked last week about how John was baptizing with the water, and that was symbolizing their uh confessing of their sins and their repenting. But Jesus says that there's a baptism coming of the Holy Spirit. We get an idea here of what is going to happen when the Holy Spirit comes. What we're setting up for in this book of Acts is what's going to happen when the Holy Spirit comes and the holy spirit is there and it falls in and we begin to to see that power and it's talking here that you know John was baptizing with water but the holy spirit's coming and it's going to baptize it's going to be an endowment that's put on to them but what we understand with that endowment is it will become a character trait it will become something of who they are and there's two parts to this baptism two meanings one is literal And the other is figurative, but the literal one means to submerge. When we baptize people in our baptistry, we submerge them into the water. That's very important to understand the submerging of the baptism because they understood that very much. Because when they would take cloth or fabric and they would go to a place to dye that fabric and they would have those dyes, that fabric would have to be emerged or submerged all the way into the water so that the dye could penetrate all parts of it. Can you imagine if they had just kind of flopped it in there and pulled it up, the fabric would have been spotchy. But it was baptized or submerged into the water and then it become that color. If we take white fabric and you submerge it into grape juice or purple dye or or red dye or something like that, it becomes that fabric, becomes red. It, It changes what that fabric looks like. It's still fabric, but it changes what it looks like. And also the figurative portion of baptism is to be identified with. Jesus is telling his disciples that go into Jerusalem and wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You will become identified with me because you will be submerged into the Holy Spirit and you will take on the traits of that. They will become like that. They will be able to work and they will be able to have the power of the Holy Spirit coming on them. So this baptized with the Holy Spirit is very important to be submerged so that it fully covers them, and figuratively, because they're going to begin to become identified with Christ at the moment that the Holy Spirit comes on them. Now what I want us to focus on today are verses 6, 7, and 8. The first thing that we're going to look at is through verse 6. I want us to see the focus of the disciples. You know, here Jesus is getting ready to ascend up to heaven. He's taking them up on the mountain. He's sharing with them his last words. And what were they thinking? What were they looking at? Do you remember when we started and I asked you about Someone sharing last words with you. Do you remember what your focus was? Well, let's look here at what the focus of the disciples were. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? You see that? Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom of Israel? They have heard of in their lifetime and through Old Testament scripture, there are numerous scriptures that refer back to this, and it says that when the Holy Spirit comes, that that will be the restoring of the kingdom. So the question, I've always read this and kind of thought, that sounds a little strange to me. Is that really what they want to ask him right now? But when you understand their understanding of the Word, and that when the Holy Spirit was to come, that would be the restoration. Of God's kingdom. Uh, David's throne would always have someone on there. He would come back in and he would restore that kingdom. So that's what they're thinking. They're saying, Lord, you're telling us that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is coming. Is this the day? I can imagine they were excited. Is this fixing to be the moment that you restore your kingdom? But what were they thinking of? They were not thinking of his. Heavenly kingdom. They were not thinking of his ruling kingdom of the people that follow him. They were thinking of the kingdom of Christ's rule here on earth. They were so tired of being under the oppression of the Romans and having to follow all their laws. They were thinking, Hallelujah, here comes the time, Jesus. King Jesus is here, we saw him die, he's risen, what power he has, maybe, just maybe, this is the moment coming when the Holy Spirit comes that he is going to overtake the Roman kingdom and he's going to set up his rule here on earth. That was their thoughts. They were thinking, I could imagine maybe how exciting that would be, you know, when you're ready to get out of something or for something new and you, you think that's fixing to happen. Well, that's what they were thinking. Is it the rule of Christ coming? Their focus was on Christ's earthly rule. And we know that that's not all what Christ is talking about. So what I want us to look at second is the redirection of the disciples. Jesus understood where they were coming from. He didn't rebuke them. He didn't fully answer their question the way that they had hoped for, but Christ lovingly redirected them. So we see the redirection of the disciples in verse 7. He being Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Jesus calmly, I can imagine, and looked at them, and they're all excited. Lord Jesus, is this the time that you're going to restore your kingdom? And when Jesus looked at him, he was basically saying, It's not for you to know. Well, that's not quite what they were wanting an answer for Jesus to look at him and say, It's not for, for you to know. What did Jesus mean by that? It, it wasn't time for them to know. It wasn't for them to know the times of the epochs. Jesus was looking at them saying, it's not for you to know the time. It's not important to you to know how long before the restoration of God's kingdom on earth is. Jesus is saying that's not what's important. It's not for you to know. It doesn't matter how long it's going to be. He also told them that it wasn't for them to know the epic. It's not for them to know the time span, the definite period, or the season. Jesus is giving them his last words, and he wants them to understand what you're asking is not what's important here. What you're asking should not be your main focus. What you're asking is irrelevant to the what's coming for you. The new kingdom was going to come. Jesus knows that. They know it. He was acknowledging it. It was just not to be their focus. The kingdom of God is coming, and that is not to be their main concern. And you know, there's some people even today on earth that their whole concern, even in church, is with prophecy of the future, prophecy of the return of Christ. We've got to get it down. We look in Revelations and we talk about it and we look in Isaiah and we look in Daniel and we look in Acts and we look in all these books trying to figure out all the important things about the return of Christ and we focus on all of those things when the return of Christ is not what is to be our main focus. It wasn't to be His disciples' main focus. It wasn't to be the main focus of the church because the disciples become the first members of the church. And we see here that that is not to be their concern, but also he told them that it was the Father's authority. He said there in that verse, it's not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. We know that God's ways are higher than our ways. And Jesus was saying... God's made that decision, and you can't change that. It's not up to you. It's not your main focus. If we turn over in Matthew 24 and 36, we see, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son of Man, but the Father alone. The Father alone. What do you mean not even the Son? Isn't the Son God? Aren't the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all one? Yes, they are. But when this is written and talked about, Jesus was here on earth. Jesus had willingly covered over his glory. He had willingly taken on flesh. And there were certain aspects he was still the Father, He was still the Son, but there are certain aspects that He chose not to use while He was here on earth. And at this moment, I don't believe that He knew exactly when it was He was human at that point. And it says here that not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Jesus redirected them. You see, their focus was on His earthly kingdom and the return. Jesus is directing them to the true purpose of the church. He is saying that's not your main focus. It is important. It is going to happen. But when it happens, that's not what you need to be focused on. The third thing we see out of this scripture is the mission of the disciples. The mission of the disciples. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witness both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. What is the mission of the disciples? The mission of the disciples, we could change that disciples, as I said a while ago, to church. What were their mission? What was the mission to be of the disciples? But they, along with the church, which means that would be us, The mission is to be supernaturally powerful. Supernaturally powerful is the mission of the church. We are to be set apart. We are to be different. The Holy Spirit will come upon us, and it will fill us with power. We have the responsibility as born-again believers. When Holy Spirit comes in, He fills us with power. And that is our mission, to be filled with the Holy Spirit's power. The Holy Spirit was powerful. It's part of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit was there in creation. It was active in part of creation. And the Holy Spirit's power that filled people in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, get this, the Holy Spirit's, the supernatural power, of the Holy Spirit enable people to do things that they could not ordinarily do themselves. God is saying through Jesus that I've got a task for you, church, and what I want you to do is more than you can do within yourself. But I, the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, gives us the power to do exactly what he's asked us to do. He gives us that power. As we turn and we said that they're going to be baptized in that and the Holy Spirit's going to fill them and the Holy Spirit becomes a permanent indwelling in the disciples. This is what's unique about this baptism of the Holy Spirit, of this filling of the Holy Spirit. Before Jesus came, we see in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit would come upon someone and help them do something, and then it would leave. And then the Lord would need them to do something else, and the Holy Spirit would come upon them, and it would leave. Well, when Jesus came and he died on the cross and rose again, he said, I must leave so that the gift of the Father, the Holy Spirit, can come. And when he ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit descended and fell upon these disciples at that moment. The power filled them and it stayed with them. The moment we receive Christ, the Holy Spirit baptizes us. We are submerged into the Holy Spirit, and that power fills us, and it becomes who we are. It becomes our character trait, the power that we have, and the Holy Spirit does not leave us. He stays with us. Amen? He is a permanent dwelling just as that fabric that gets baptized into that dye, submerged into that dye, becomes permanently dyed to a new color. Remember I said earlier, it stays the fabric, but its look changes The moment we are baptized into the Holy Spirit and we are submerged into Him, the way we look becomes different because of how we act, not our physical appearance but our attitude and our mannerisms and things we do. The moment we're submerged and the Holy Spirit comes upon us at our salvation, we become different because we now have Holy Spirit in us residing in us There's a difference between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit happens one time. It happens at the moment of salvation. You are baptized. You are submerged into the Holy Spirit. It changes who you are on the inside. But there are all times throughout Scripture, and every day we need to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to call on the Lord for that feeling so that we can continue on to being doing what He has called us to do. It's not only to be supernaturally powerful, but we are to be witnesses. The disciples were to be witnesses to the presence of the Holy Spirit. You hear that? They were to be witnesses... The presence of the Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit came and filled them with power. That's the reason we get filled, so that we become witnesses. When we look at that word witness, we get our uh, English word martyr from that. Does that word sound familiar? We get that from this word witness one who testifies, one who testifies or bears witness. The power of the Holy Spirit had to fill those disciples for them to become a witness. With all that's going on, all of the hatred toward Jesus and and him being crucified and then resurrected, no one wanted to hear those things. They wanted to shut them up. They wanted them to be quiet. But the Holy Spirit came upon them and gave them power to speak out. Power to be witnesses to what Jesus had done. Power to be witnesses that Jesus was resurrected and that it was a living God. The power of the Holy Spirit in them to change their lives and to say what Jesus had done for them. Many of the early Christians became martyrs. They were killed because of their witness. The people knew no other way than to shut them up, than to kill them. They needed supernatural power to be a witness for the Lord. They were to be a witness that Christ really is alive, how he changed their lives. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us and he fills us and we are baptized into him and we have the power, we as the church, we as individual believers get the power to be a witness to testify. Well, I don't have a testimony. Yes, you do. You have a testimony. You can testify what Jesus has done in your life. There's no one who can take that testimony away from you. That is your testimony, what Holy Spirit through the blood of Jesus Christ did in your life. You were once one way, now you're another way. If there's never, ever been a difference in your life at any point, then maybe you need to evaluate your salvation because you become baptized, you become a witness, and you have a testimony to how Christ has changed you. That is a mission of the church, to be supernaturally powerful, to be a witness, and to spread the gospel. We see there at the end of that verse 8, it's, uh, verse 8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Where are we to spread the gospel? Where? I mean, okay, God, I understand you want me to spread the gospel. What is that? Well, it's very important there. He says to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Those are some three very important parts. Jerusalem, that was considered the center of the world for them. That was the center of everything, the center right there. For us, that would be our local area. What is our center area where we live? Your address, those around you, your immediate area. Maybe some of you, I I believe, a, a perfect illustration of this. I read and many of you have probably read this about a young boy about 15 years old who was on a bus filled with people and he stood up and he began to talk and he began to say that the end was near and that Jesus was coming soon and that they needed to repent and they needed to turn to the Lord. Well this older man angrily stood up and said son shut up sit down you don't know what you're talking about. Christ don't even exist. Well, of course, the young 15-year-old boy, being very embarrassed, sit down. But the Lord kept working on him. The Lord filled him with that power. And the young boy stood up again and he said, The end is near. Jesus is coming soon. You need to turn and repent. The young man, the older gentleman again stood up holding a young child and he told the boy to shut up and he said that he was fixing to come and he was going to begin to beat on him when the little boy in the man's arms said, Daddy, don't touch him. He's sent by God. Well, of course, the older gentleman began to weep and the young boy didn't understand. He said, Sir, why are you weeping? He said, young man, you don't understand. My son has been mute, and he has just spoke for the first time. This young man understood what it was to be supernaturally powerful, to be a witness of what Christ had done, and to spread the gospel in his Jerusalem, his immediate area where he was at. He began to share, and what a mighty and powerful way the Lord used that. The Lord's power came alive. But he also begins to talk about Judea and Samaria. That's to the outer edges, maybe those, we call it the dispersion, those had been sent out to go out into the distant land around Jerusalem, the next area out, the next towns, and begin to minister to them, begin to share to them the gospel for those who were not in Jerusalem. They hadn't seen what had happened power of the holy spirit on those disciples to go out there and also to the ends of the earth they were thinking of with that talking about to the gentiles amen praise the lord that the lord said to carry the message to jerusalem first the jews samaria and judea and then to the remotest parts of the ends of the earth out to some say maybe even thinking of ethiopia but all the way out and giving the message to the gentiles that's us the message of the gentiles But let me show you this, how important. Was this Luke's idea when he wrote it? I don't know. But it says to go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That is an outline, church, for the book of Acts. Peter, in Acts chapter 1 through 5, says, we see Peter sharing the gospel in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 8 through 12, we see Stephen and others as they begin to spread out to Judea and Samaria. And in Acts chapter 13 through 28, we see Paul, the one that Luke traveled with. We see Paul carrying the gospel to the remotest parts of the earth. We begin to see through the rest of the New Testament, you see Paul's trips to his first trip and his second trip. You know, this was believed that Acts was wrote between about 60 and 64 A.D. because Paul uh, was traveling and Luke that wrote this was traveling with him and in Paul's first imprisonment is when the book of Acts ends. We don't know what happened to Paul through this book. We do in other books. So they believe that that's when it was written. But what we've got to see here. Is the last words. Jesus told them to stay where they were at. Jesus wanted to share with them that they were going to be baptized with the Spirit in the very last words, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witness both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even the remotest part of the earth. He took them from their focus. He redirected their focus, and then he gave them the mission to be supernaturally powerful, to be a witness, and to spread the gospel. Let me share you this quote by a gentleman named Dr. Oswald J. Chambers that many of you might know or have read from. He said, The light that shines the farthest will shine the brightest at home. Let me quote that one more time. The light that shines the brightest, excuse me, the light that shines the farthest will shine the brightest at home. We need to start in our Jerusalem. The mission of the church, it's not for entertainment. There is no other main focus of the church than for us to be supernaturally powerful, to be a witness And to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Church, That's it. That's our mission. And we're going to see all of this unfold, these wonderful things that we've been talking about these last few weeks. All of this is going to unfold as we get our way through the book of Acts and how excited I am as we begin to see the gospel spread and the power of the Holy Spirit that comes upon them and how the power helps them to do what Christ has called them to do. Church, we need to be supernaturally powerful If we are dead in the church, then we're going to be dead in the world. If we want our light to shine, we've got to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And the amazing thing is if you are a born-again believer, you have been baptized into the Holy Spirit, His power is there. We can call on Him. And when God calls us as a church for a purpose and with a mission, He's going to give us supernatural power to do it. Power to do things we can never do on our own. Amen. I am ready to see the power of the Holy Spirit break out within us through revival that we may be able to reach our Jerusalem. We may be able to reach our Judea, Samaria, and Mount Olivet may be able to reach the remotest parts and the ends of the earth because of the power of the Holy Spirit that so fills the church, God's people. Amen. I'm looking forward to that. I hope you are. What exciting news that God gave us the mission. And hallelujah, if God gave us the mission, he's going to give us the power to do it. Praise the Lord. May you bow your heads with me this morning. Father, Lord God, I thank you so much, Father, for your wonderful power, that supernatural power that you put on us. Father, thank you that you called us with a mission and you gave us a purpose. But Lord God, I plead and i beg with you lord that you would continue to call on us father you would continue to show us grace and mercy and father you would help us to lean into you to call out to you for power because lord if we be a church too long and we begin to do nothing and we lose that power father eventually you will remove us father i'm begging that you give us another chance Father, that you would restore us right now. Father, you would allow that power to break out in us. And, Father, we would take it and we would use it for your kingdom's glory. Father God, I pray everything in the precious, most holy name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen and praise the Lord. I want to put that number up on our screen again, 318-697-3113. That number is there for you that you may focus on the Lord if you need